All right. Well, if you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Pastor Mark. On behalf of Grace Fellowship, we just want to thank you for being here and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, Church family, turn into your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The title of today's sermon, it's called More and More, and I'm going to explain that as we go. More and more. 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going to start out just reading the very first verse, if you'll look at verse 1 with me. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you, as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. That's a powerful first verse. It's going to lead into the rest of our text. Paul's saying, hey, man, you are walking right, guys. You're pleasing God. You're doing it. But do it. Do so more and more. You know, an essential aspect of Christian life, of the Christian life, rather, is not so much the matter of just religious observance or external observance. It's the total heartfelt commitment to God. He has given us spiritual life, has He not? He's given spiritual life to His people, and now God expects us to grow into maturity in this spiritual life that He has given us. There is purpose. The process of your development and maturing in the faith is of utmost importance to your walk. Utmost important. You have growth, continued growth. That's the more and more. That's what pleases God, the more and more. Paul states that he, Silas, and Timothy, all three of them, showed the Thessalonians how to walk and how to please God. And Paul says, hey, you're doing the very things that we taught you. You're doing it. That's great, but see to it that you do it more and more. So we are never finished discipling. We talked about this last week. We are never finished discipling. We are never finished being discipled because we never stop growing. Well, let me rephrase that. As believers who desire to please God, we must never stop growing. And there's the more and more. Let me read a verse to you from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So to live, that is to walk in Him, right, is to be rooted. It is to be built up. Now, Scripture uses images such as seeds and plants to illustrate the process of growth. I mean, when we have a plant with strong roots, I'm talking roots that are grounded in the soil, doing their job, rooted, strong, that plant will continue to grow no matter the heat, no matter the cold, the heavy rains, the strong winds. That plant will continue to grow, and this truly stresses the dynamic nature of our growth in Jesus. It stresses that. So that's our first verse 
And it's a powerful one because it's opening a great door for us to learn today. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read verses 2 through 8 together. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger. In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. All right, let's talk about sanctification. You know, we are set apart to God. We are set apart. In this separation from the world, in this separation from all other things, we are being made holy. It is effectual obedience on our part, effectual obedience to God in our lives. In other words, we are growing in the Lord. So it is God who began this work in us, making us Christ-like, this great and awesome transformation And it is God who will complete this work. But church family, how are we sanctified? Well, Paul states this. He says, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Instructions. Our growth comes from the application of the Word. John 17, 17 says this. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Do you hear that? You're going to be sanctified in truth, and it's the word that is the truth. In this, we are to pursue this growth to be Christ-like, to be holy. First Peter 1.15 excuse me, says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Folks, that is your walk. And we know Paul talks about this a lot. He speaks often, very frequently, even in our text today, about our walk. And that's how we conduct ourselves in our life. But Paul uses a giant. Paul uses a giant to illustrate his point in you and I being set apart. He highlights a very dangerous area for all believers, and that is abstaining from sexual immorality. I mean, Paul is pulling out the big guns here. Why? Because we are sexual beings. We are. So he's bringing up something huge. You know, God's plan for sex is grounded in the joy of marriage. And God designed people. I hope you believe that. God designed people. God designed marriage. God designed sex. God designed the family. This is by His design, His beautiful and perfect design, which humanity has taken and has perverted. They've messed it up. They have made it bad. I had a seventh grade health teacher. Yes, I can remember all the way back to seventh grade. I do not remember her name, but I can remember her face like yesterday. She was certifiable crazy. Loved her. 
But she confirmed Scripture for me in seventh grade in a public school setting. I don't know if she was a Christian, but she confirmed Scripture. You know what she taught me? You know why I remember this? Because we were all red-faced and we giggled the whole time as she talked about sex. So here's a male and his parts, and she said, here's the female and her parts. And she said this, by design, they work together. A man and a woman, she says, when they are married, by design, this works together. I remember it. Again, we giggled the whole time. Can you believe what she just said? And she confirmed Scripture. Now, I don't know if they do that in health class today. I can't even imagine what's taught today. But I'm telling you, she confirmed that it's a male and a female, how everything works, and it was by design and made for a married couple. And I thought that was amazing in my study to recall that from that far back. And it was amazing to think that, wow, I wonder if they still teach that, because that's the truth. Because see, here's the thing, guys. In biblical times, especially in the Roman world, there was an environment that endorsed, endorsed immoral behavior, bad behavior, and it ran rampant throughout the empire. I'm going to name some things here. Tell me if you think they apply today, because these were uh, prominent things back then. Tell me if these… Th- by the way, this is the immoral. This is what God's design is, beautiful, and what humanity's done to it. Incest, rape, bestiality, homosexuality, pedophilia, adultery, prostitution. Today, we could probably throw in pornography for all of these things online, correct? These are the same things that ran rampant through the Roman Empire as they do today. There's nothing new. We just have more of it because of the social, internet, all that. You get me? I'm sure I could keep going, but you get the big picture. These are the moral acts that have warped God's perfect design. Now, this is only one aspect of sanctification. Again, Paul is bringing out the big guns here. If you look at his other letters, we know that sanctification involves many other aspects of holiness as well. I mean, even in our text today, we read that, we, that involves um, uh, self-control, uh, passion of lust, right, um, transgressing against a brother. There's things like that that go with sexual morality that is part of our sanctification, But what about things like humility and kindness and even love? These are things as well. These two are aspects of our sanctification. But Paul is using sexual immorality for a reason. He's making a very important point. And what the point is, he's saying this, Thessalonians, listen to me, we are not called into impurity. I just read a list of impurities for you that warped God's design. We are not called to those impurities, but into holiness. And that's what he is emphasizing here. So was sexual holiness a problem? Absolutely it was. Let me tell you why. They were surrounded by pagan culture. They were surrounded by pagan culture who embraced and practiced immoral acts. Ephesians 4.17. Now this... I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's a warning. What about Ephesians 4.19, two verses later? They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we just named them. That was the pagan culture. And in this culture, recent converts may have found it to be quite the struggle to adjust to the Christian ethics that Paul 
Silas and Timothy were teaching. I mean, the lure of sexual sin is strong, is it not? It is. Paul's concerned that some of the Thessalonians, uh, the Christians there, may fall back into their former ways, and he is right to be concerned. Haven't we fallen back into our former ways before? I'm going to tell you, I have. I have. Can you also admit the danger of falling back into your former ways? If you're being honest with yourself, you can. It is a danger. Now, I mentioned the spiritual life that is given to us earlier, and in this spiritual life, we are given the Holy Spirit, just like the church of Thessalonica. Now, let me ask you this. Are we to suppress the Holy Spirit? Are we to grieve the Spirit? Are we to quench the Spirit? Because I'm going to tell you, that's a lifestyle that is not pleasing to God if that's what's happening in your life. Grieving, quenching, suppressing the Spirit. See, if you were choosing to live a life that is not pleasing to God, right? If you were choosing to live a life that, that, that prohibits the Spirit from revealing Himself as He wants to, if you are living a life in impurity, then that is exactly what you were doing. You are suppressing, quenching, and grieving the Spirit. Because by design, He is not going to act on those things. You can't have both, foots, uh, both feet excuse me, in one camp and then one in the other. You can't straddle that line of I want to be holy, but I also want to enjoy the impurities. It does not work. So to reject the giver of the Holy Spirit, to reject God, is to cut oneself off from the very sanctifying power that enables Christians to be blameless and holy before Him. Did you hear that? If we are going to, re- to, to choose to reject the giver of the Holy Spirit, we are cutting ourselves off from that very power, that sanctifying power that presents us blameless and holy. And that's at the return of Jesus. And remember, Paul wants to present this church. It's his joy and his glory. We talked about it last week. He wants to present this church blameless, pure, and holy. Like verse 8 says, you are not disregarding me. Hey, folks, you're not disregarding Pastor Mark. They, hey, they're not disregarding Paul. You are disregarding God. And let me tell you what God has done for us. This is in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will, uh, excuse me, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you, listen to this, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Without that heart of flesh and that spirit, we are in trouble. So if we are suppressing that, we are rejecting our God and His beautiful gift that He has given us to pursue holiness and to walk in holiness. If your walk is pleasing to God as you are being sanctified, I'm going to say this to you. Do so more and more. Let's look at chapter 4, verses uh, verses 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. 
Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, you ready for this? To do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and dependent, be dependent, excuse me, on no one. Now we are speaking to brotherly love. First, we address the pursuit of holiness in pleasing God, pursuing that holiness. Now we are going to focus on pursuing Christian love in pleasing God. But what is there to say? I mean, what is there to say? Paul says, there is no need for me to write to you about this subject because you were taught by God. And that is through the Holy Spirit that we do not want to grieve, suppress, or quench. Taught by God to love one another. God had to teach us. And that is exactly, uh, exactly what they're doing. Paul says, that's exactly what you're doing. And this is happening throughout Macedonia. We're hearing about it. Reports are coming back. Timothy came back and told me, this is huge. But what does Paul say? Just like in first 1, he says, we, talking about Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He says, we urged you to do this more and more. But just like the sanctifying work in abstaining from sexual morality, right, with the warnings of self-control, uh, the warnings of the passion of lust and, and transgressing against a brother, all those things that were attached, here Paul is stating that sanctification of your brotherly love for others, in that I need you to live quietly. I need you to, to mind your own affairs and work with your hands as instructed. And that may sound weird. Why is that attached to love? I get hurting a brother through sexual morality. I get the passions of lust leading me astray in sexual morality. I get those things. What is going on where I have to live quietly and mind my own business? It's, it's interesting. Well, the reason for this, and I'm going to explain it, the reason for this is so that they walk properly. They're being viewed. They're being... Uh, they're a fishbowl, if you will. And what's happening here is in these warnings is there's a problem. And you may say, wait, this church is good, right? Yeah, they are good. They're doing right. Oh, they're doing right. But just like you and I as individuals and just like our church, there were issues. In fact, let me read 2 Thessalonians. We'll put it up for you. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 and 12, give us some insight into what's going on. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Simply put, I need you to live quiet, not meddle in other people's affairs, and get to work Use your hands, get to work, earn money. Now, let me explain this. In this letter, it does speak to Christ's return. It's coming up, Christ's return. And there could have easily been uh, some confusion. They could have misunderstood this teaching and were using or was using the excuse that God's coming back. Why lift a finger? If God's returning, 
I'm not going to work. I'm going to enjoy life. I'll just, you know, I'll live off you. I've got friends here. Can I borrow some money? Can I eat at your house? You got an extra room? See, that's what they're talking about here. People were, could have easily used that excuse, but they, what was happening is they weren't taking responsibility to take care of themselves, and they began to take advantage of others' wealth. Since we belong to this great family now, this family of God, well, let me uh, capitalize on that. Let me capitalize on maybe taking some of your wealth, some of your resources, because I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be idle now. It could have been that. And they could have been just absolutely lazy. We don't know the exact reason we speculate, but Paul says they're being idle. They're busy bodies, but they're not busy working. They're not. And you know, that ruins your testimony when someone on the outside is looking and going, that's a Christian? Now, this is just an example. There are many, many, many other examples that we could say, but you can look at a Christian and go, are you serious? Is that how a Christian acts? Ew, that's gross. That's what Paul's trying to say. I'll just depend on somebody else. You know, regardless of what the reason was, Paul already taught them. He already taught them and, and, and told them to imitate him. You remember that? Imitate us. And what he was saying was, he was not a burden. He toiled day and night, both in proclaiming the gospel and he was a tent maker. He earned his own living. He supported himself in ministry to the church in Thessalonica. He was not a burden to them. So not only is he talking about financial sufficiency, Paul is concerned about their witness. It'd be just like if you went astray in a certain area of life and were ruining your witness. Walk properly before outsiders, he said. Walk properly before outsiders. They were a walking and living testimony. But as we can see here, some of them just stopped. They just stopped. Let me, let me illustrate, and I'm going to make this shorter. There was a great artist, a Greek artist of antiquity, and um, he was, had a well-known instructor, a well-known tutor, and after years of, of, of working on his, his painting and practicing, he painted an exquisite portrait, beautiful portrait. He was so thrilled with his work that he had painted that he just sat there day after day gazing at it. He stopped painting altogether. He just looked at his portrait. It was amazing. One morning, however, he was horrified to discover that somebody had ruined that painting, painted all over it. He found out it was his teacher. His very own teacher had ruined his exquisite work of art. Angry and in tears, he ran to his teacher and said, why in the world would you destroy my cherished possession? And this wise man, his tutor said, I did it for your own good. I did it for your own good. That painting stopped your progress. It stopped you. You did nothing. You weren't growing. You stopped. It was an excellent piece of art, he said. It was. You did a great job, but it was not perfect. Start over. Try again. See if you can do better. And of course, he took the teacher's advice and did. He painted a masterpiece. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. He painted a masterpiece that was much better than the portrait. See, God never wants us to be content with our accomplishments. He never wants us to be content. He wants us to reach even higher plateaus of Christ-likeness. You know, we are children of God, and we are not to be satisfied with just our spiritual attainments and achievements. 
well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. Now I'm going to sit back and coast. No, whether you're 19 years old or you're 90 years old, with God's help, we have to press on. We press on. As a believer, you must never be satisfied. You must continue to press on toward perfection. And that's what this, these 12 verses are all about. That's what these verses are all about. Paul is explaining to the church in Thessalonica, do not stop. You have to continue to grow. You need to move forward. See, this is Paul's point to the Thessalonians. This is his point. That in the pursuit of holiness, in abstaining from sexual immorality, in the pursuit of pleasing God, in brotherly love, right, in the sanctifying work of God in their lives for the rest of their lives, that they move forward forward, that they press on, that they continue to grow, growing into perfection. And that is the process of developing and maturing in the faith. You might be looking at me going, Pastor Mark, have Chris, do Christians stop growing? Yes, they do. The very same people can act like that artist and just go, you know what? Look what I've done. I have done it all. I'm done. I had a friend in Jacksonville. He says, I've done it all. There's nothing else I can do. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, this is the living Word of God. You're not done. You could read this book a thousand times and still continue to learn. You'll see something you missed. You'll see something you didn't get. God will illuminate for you. What do you mean you're done? Well, I'm done with ministry. I've done it all. Someone else can do the rest. What if God said that to you? Hey, I'm done with you. I've done my, I've done my, no, God's not done with you. You are not done with God. And that's Paul's point. Church family, I'll say it again, you are not done. First, let me clarify something. We do not all need to be preachers or missionaries like we just watched or work in a church to serve God and to do what Paul is asking. Absolutely not. God needs you where he has placed you. We need people Christians, we need Christians in every field of industry. We need Christians in every area of business that is out there. You want to know why? Paul says it in Scripture. Not directly, but here's why. Because you, my friends, are a walking and living testimony of Jesus Christ. You are being watched. You are being viewed. You may be the only link at times the only link at times that bridges the gap between a person and God. Think about that for a second. You may be the only link that's connecting. You may be a walking and living Christian ethic that they see, which is Paul, what Paul's talking about right here, a walking and living Christian ethic. You may be a walking and living spiritual concept and you may be a walking and living Bible verse for another. You never know. But you are a walking and living testimony. In pursuing Christ in our lives and becoming Christ-like in the process of sanctification, we are pleasing God by living in how we were taught to walk. And pleasing God is not an attempt to attain salvation by our, our, our actions. Absolutely not. No, no, no. That's the work of God. But what I'm saying here, what I'm asking from you, it's the proper response to those who have been saved by grace. Did you hear that? What I'm calling you to, what Paul is preaching in this text, 
is a proper response of those who have been saved by grace. And that's living in spirit-powered sanctification. You and I have that. But like Paul says, you have to do so more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, I'm going to read it again. Can we put it up there? 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. Folks, 1 Thessalonians 4.1, I am asking this of you today. I am asking you to live this verse out in front of others. What you have been taught, how you have been taught to please God. Live this verse out in front of others. You know, this church, I thought about this for a while. You look at the paper, you know, on paper, you go, wow, this church was doing good. This church was right. They were a generous church. We'll hear about them later in other letters. We hear about them all through Macedonia. They are making an impact. This church was doing good. They were right. But were they perfect? Absolutely not. God was not done with this church. They were growing into perfection. Our church is not done. Are we doing good? Yes, we are. But we are not perfect. We are growing into perfection, which takes us to our individuals here right now. Church family. I know a lot of you very well. You inspire me. You encourage me. A lot of you are walking and living testimonies for me. And what I'm asking is this. Examine your life. Examine your Christian walk, the things you've been taught, how you're pleasing God, and do so more and more. Individuals, we are not done because God is not done. We are a walking and living testimony. So as we live out this verse, as we live out this verse in front of others, we need to do so more and more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am grateful for your word. It is so easy for Christians today to say, I've done it all, I've done enough. It's so easy for Christians to say, I've been a Christian a long time. I've served here, I've served there, I know Scripture, and I'm just going to sit back and let someone else. Father, you are not done with us. Don't let us be done with you. We know, Father God, Paul tells us here that he is worried about their testimony, Father, as they are presented to outsiders, their walk, their conduct, their life. Lord, we should be concerned about the very same things. We should be very, very concerned about our walking and living testimony in front of others. Because we have been taught how to act. We have been taught on how to please. You taught us how to love. So, Father God, through the work of the Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one of us, I pray that you move us in the direction, in the pursuit of holiness, in the pursuit of growth, Father, in the pursuit of maturing into perfection, which you have called us to. You've not called us to impurity. You've called us to holiness. Father, let, lead us in that walk. That's what I'm praying for today, for each and every member of this church. Lead us in that walk. You are a gracious and loving God. You care for us deeply. You've given us the most beautiful gift that, that we are dwelt with, Father. You live within us. Father, never let us quench the Spirit, hurt or grieve or suppress, Father. Let the Holy Spirit be able to live out 
exactly who he's supposed to be and reveal himself in our lives through that testimony that others see, Father. Help us walk that straight path, avoiding the things of sexual immorality, avoiding the things that hurt and, and, and would hinder our brotherly love. Father, these are examples, but it's our walk that is of utmost importance. And that walk, Father, glorifies you. So we pray today for boldness. We pray today for honesty. We pray today for endurance, Lord, as we minister to others through our very lives as an example. That's what we're praying for. Father God, I love you. We love you. We thank you for all of your blessings. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.